There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Okay. Tonight's the big night. We're going out to the movies again, and this time it's another Fathoms events, and it's the 60th anniversary of the Twilight Zone, and they've got six fully restored episodes plus kind of a behind-the-scenes uh, little documentary, and it looks like the theater is about half full based on buying my ticket, and so it should be a pretty fun time, and it's just me because it is a weeknight and people need to get up and go to work in the morning so yeah that's kind of going to be a late night since it's three hours long and yeah this is an episode where we're headed to the movies so here we go so the twilight zone is a tv series that is written and hosted by, and I'm not sure if he ever directed any episodes, I'll have to look that up. Uh, but Rod Serling was kind of the mastermind behind the Twilight Zone. And it's a long running series. I think they have over 150 episodes total. And I don't, I can't say that I know that I've watched every single episode, but I know I've watched a lot of Twilight Zone when it was on TV back in the 70s and the 80s uh, reruns and then on Hulu I think I want to say it was on Hulu for a while maybe it still is and yeah I watched quite a few of my favorite episodes and some of the episodes they're showing tonight are some of my favorite episodes as well um, so I'll be able to talk more about that after the movie because I at the moment can't remember all six of what the episodes are uh, but that's okay it'd be good to be surprised and yeah I think what I love about this show is that it is a lot it has a lot to do with sort of morality and looking at contemporary society in a slightly different way and from a slightly different angle that really makes you think about what's going on. And I know this was, you know, back in the 60s, <clears throat> but a lot of the stories really are relevant for today, absolutely. They're kind of timeless in, in a way. And I, I think I mentioned in a previous episode that uh, what I love about classic movies and, and in this case, classic TV, the really good ones become sort of timeless. Like East of Eden, I think is the one most recently that I felt this way about that folks can watch that show that movie you know a hundred years from now and it'll be just as uh, relevant I think it's because it speaks to human emotions and the human condition Thank you. 
This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Hi, this is Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from North Bend today, and you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net and also on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com and search for Classic Movie Reviews. And we're talking about The Twilight Zone today. And uh, this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles welcoming everyone back to Classic Movie Reviews and kind of an overview of the uh, feature film that Matt went to that contained six episodes of Twilight Zone. Yeah, so this is part of the Fathom events that, uh, I don't know if, if it's sponsored by Turner Classic Movies. This one, I don't think so. This was more like going to the theater and watching six episodes off of a really high quality digital transfer. Um, and it was interesting because they had like the the end caps of the, of the episodes where they would show like, they showed like four different production little graphics at the end of each episode. Wow, um, and they and they had. I was wondering about this. They had, like, the, it would fade to black when there was going to be a commercial, rather than just edit out those. It it really made it feel like you were watching, the TV episodes, but on the big screen. Oh, we we will we uh, see that on uh, a PBS program called Vera. She's a detective in Scotland, and rather than just go straight through, they'll do a quick. Uh, uh, change back to the title of the series of the episode and then go back to the to the show i like that yeah and the other thing they did which i liked was that at the end of the episode they would show rod serling talking about what the next episode was even though these were sh these weren't shown you know in consecutive order of how they were aired but at the end of every Twilight Zone episode, Rod Serling would come on and say something like, and next week we are going to, and then he would describe a little bit about the the episode. So it kind of set up, it was, yeah, it really felt like you were watching it on TV, but <laughs> condensed into a three-hour time period and on a huge screen. That would be quite a television screen, wouldn't it? It really, that'd be the ultimate sort of, uh, yeah, home theater. You'd have to remodel your family room to fit it in. Well, you'd ha it, it's bigger than my house. I'd have to have a whole <laughs> yeah, new house. <laughs> did did they, did anybody uh, be, uh, during the uh, start of the uh, movie describe how they uh, selected the six episodes? No, I was a little disappointed they didn't have any sort of introduction like they do with some of the movies. Like when I went to see Alien in the theater, Ben Mankiewicz came on and talked about it, and I was really hoping that they would do that. Um, but based on the the documentary afterwards, I feel like they chose episodes that really represented 
the themes that Rod Serling was writing about in the Twilight Zone? Yeah, he covered quite a quite a range with fantasy, science fiction, suspense, horror, and psychological thrillers. It was all over the place. They, they, they said in the documentary that sci-fi at the time, so I was, I was taking notes during the documentary, um, that sci-fi applies to everyday society. But at the time that these episodes were airing, sci-fi was sort of the bottom of the barrel in terms of movies that were being produced for the big screen. You know, like a lot of those bad B, C, F movies that are out there. Not the good ones that we've been reviewing, but... There were a lot of bad ones, too. Oh, I remember uh, when we were getting ready to do Forbidden Planet, it was seen as a breakthrough because it was given an A-level budget and uh, full-color treatment and leading stars. That really, in 1956, moved it to a move sci-fi to a, a whole different level. Even The Thing from Another World in 1951 was still pretty low budget. Yeah, but just fortunately really well written and directed and uh so the other thing that they talked about is the bravery of rod serling so some of the things that he was tackling and the one that my favorite episode of the six so i'll just tell you what the six were uh the first one was walking distance which is the one where a, a vp of an ad agency stops his car at a gas station and then realizes that he's really close to his hometown so then he walks home and sort of gets transported back in time to when he was a little kid, but he's still an adult, so he's kind of seeing his childhood through adult eyes, and it, it's very nostalgic. I thought you'd like to know the boy will be all right. Doctor says he'll limp some, but he'll be all right. Oh, I thank God for that. You dropped this at the house. I looked inside it. It tells a great many things about you. Your driver's license, the cards, the money in it. It seems you are Martin Sloan. You're 36 years old and you have an apartment in New York City. It says your driver's license expires in 1960. That's 25 years from now. And the dates on the bills, those dates haven't happened yet either. And you, you know, Pop, Yes, I know. I know who you are. I know you've come from a long way from here. A long way and a long time. But I don't understand how or why. Do you? No. But you do know other things, don't you, Martin? Things that'll happen. Yes, I do. Martin. Yes, Pop. You have to leave here. There's no room. There's no place. Do you understand that? I see that now, but I don't understand. Why not? I guess because we only get one chance. Maybe there's only one summer to every customer. That little boy, the one I know, the one who belongs here, this is his summer, just as it was yours once. Don't make him share it. All right. Martin. Is it so bad where you're from? I thought so, Pop. 
I've been living at a dead run, and I was tired. And one day I knew I had to come back here. I had to come back and get on a merry-go-round and eat cotton candy and listen to a band concert. I had to stop and breathe and close my eyes and smell and listen. I guess we all want that. Maybe when you go back, Martin, you'll find that there are merry-go-rounds and band concerts where you are. Maybe you haven't been looking in the right place. You've been looking behind you, Martin. Try looking ahead. Maybe. Goodbye, son. Goodbye, Pop. Oh, it would be, yeah. I, rem- I, rem- I remember that one. Yes, and so that was, they talked a lot about how he was, he loved to write about nostalgic things about his growing up, and apparently that little town in the episode really represented his his little hometown, and uh, apparently the hometown that he grew up in remodeled their merry-go-round to resemble the one in that TV episode. <laughs> That's neat. Yeah. Uh, the the next one was my second favorite one, which is Time Enough at Last, where Harry Bemis loves to read, but he can't find the time or the place to enjoy his pastime. <laughs> and that's the one with... Uh, Mar- uh, yeah, Burgess Meredith. Burgess yeah. Meredith, yeah. Collected works of Dickens. Collected works of George Bernard Shaw. Poems by Browning, Shelley, Keats. Great dramas of the world. Books, books, all the books I'll need, all the books, all the books I'll ever want. Shelley, Shakespeare, Shaw. All the books I want, all the books. And then the next one was The Invaders, where an old woman lives in this ramshackled farmhouse and comes face-to-face with alien invaders, and then there's a twist at the end about who the invaders are. I remember that one, too, yeah. So far, I've seen all these. <laughs> wow. And that that one was interesting because uh, there's no dialogue in, in the episode. She doesn't say a, a word the entire time. The only dialogue is at the end from the from the space creatures. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. This is one of the -the out-of-the-way places. The unvisited places. Bleak, wasted, dying. This is a farmhouse. Handmade, crude... A house without electricity or gas. A house untouched by progress. This is the woman who lives in the house. A woman who's been alone for many years. A strong, simple woman whose only problem up until this moment has been that of acquiring enough food to eat. A woman about to face terror, which is, even now, coming at her from the Twilight Zone. Monsters are due on Maple Street. That is a really good one where the neighbors turn on the neighbors when an unexplained event happens. And 
there's a little kid that thinks that maybe invaders are coming to Earth and that one of them living on the street isn't who they, they say they are. I don't understand it. It was working fine before. Well, you out of gas? I just filled it up. Well, what does it mean? Well, it's as if everything stopped. Maybe we better walk downtown. Well, let's both go, Charlie. Yeah. Mr. Brand, you better not. Why not? They don't want you to. Who doesn't want us to? Them. Them? Who are them? Whoever was in that thing that came by overhead. What? Whoever was in the thing that came over. I don't think they want us to leave here. What do you mean, Tommy? What are you talking about? They don't want us to leave. That's why they shut everything off. What makes you say that? Where'd you get that idea? Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? It's always that way in every story I've ever read about a ship landing from outer space. From outer space yet? Sally, you better take him upstairs put him to bed. He's been reading too many comic books or seeing too many movies or something. Now, Tommy, you stop that kind of talk. Come on, let's go. Go ahead, Tommy. We'll be right back and then you'll see. It wasn't a, a ship, it was a meteor or something. Likely as not, that's the cause of the power failure and all the rest of it. Meteors can do crazy things like, like sunspots. Sure, that's the kind of thing, like sunspots. They raise cane with radio reception all over the world. This thing being so close, there's no telling the sort of stuff it can do. You go ahead, Steve. You and Charlie go into town, see if that isn't what's causing it all. Mr. Brand? Mr. Brand, please don't leave here. You might not even be able to get to town. It was that way in the story. Nobody could leave. Nobody except... Except who? Except the people they'd sent down ahead of them. They looked just like humans, and it wasn't until the ship landed that... Tommy, please, son. Honey, don't talk like that. This is the craziest thing you ever heard of. The kid tells us a comic book plot, and we stand here listening. Uh, vaguely, uh, vaguely. So many of his episodes had a had a basis in what was going on in in uh, the real life and in politics. But in order to have it get onto television, he had to put it into a, a science fiction or other format. He talked. He talked a lot. Well, yeah, this that. one. This one was really about like I thought about McCarthyism yeah. and the cold, the Cold War and how things can really spiral out of control when you start pointing fingers at each other. And I thought it was so relevant to today. So many of these episodes are so relevant still today, the themes and what he's talking about. Oh, totally. I agree, yeah. yeah, They're almost timeless. The next one was... Oh, absolutely. The next one was my favorite one, though, which was Eye of the Beholder. Uh, Janet Tyler is in hospital having undergone treatment to make her look, quote-unquote, normal. Her bandages soon come off and all... Uh, all to say that truth is really in the eye of the beholder. You realize, of course, Miss Tyler, why these rules are in effect. Each of us has afforded as much opportunity as possible to fit in with society. In your case, think of the time and the money and the effort expended to make you look... Look like what, Doctor? Normal the way you'd like to look. 
May I walk outside? Please, may I? May I just go and sit in the garden? Just, just for a little while. Just, just to feel the air. Just, just to smell the flowers. Just, just to make believe I am normal. If, if I sit out there in the darkness, then the whole world is dark, and I'm more a part of it like that. Not just one grotesque, ugly woman with a bandage on her face with a special darkness all around. I want to belong. I want to be like everybody. Please, stop them. Please help me. People who look much as you do. Now, one of the alternatives, just in the event that this last treatment is not successful, this is simply to allow you to move into a special area in which people of your kind have been congregated. My kind? <laughs> Congregated. <laughs> oh, you mean segregated. You ain't in prison, don't you, doctor? You're talking about a ghetto, aren't you? A ghetto designed for freaks. Miss Tyler. And do you remember that one where it's that really good I twist? I do. Yes. About... <laughs> yes. There's an, there's an awesome line in there about about having to conform and why do why do we all have to be normal and and the fact also that she wants to be normal like she she she's so upset that she's not normal and i thought wow that's yeah you could just remake that episode as is and it would stand up today he he always added or almost always added a, a, an unexpected twist at the end of the episode i always waited for those cuz you were never sure what was going to happen well, that leads right into the last one, which, uh, To Serve Man. Where... <laughs> <laughs> a whole new meeting. Yes. Uh, Chamber, uh, Michael Chambers recounts recent events on Earth after the arrival of an alien spacecraft. Chamber attempts to decrypt a book the aliens left behind. The book title seems benign, but it's not what they think. To Serve Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's... That... that or whatever it is he calls himself, walked off and left this book yesterday at the UN. The White House seems to feel that if we can decipher what this book says, we can find out what these Kanamets are up to. Obviously nothing but our good. He hasn't commented on the loss of this book. He's probably unconcerned that we have it. Why should we be so concerned? They've done all right by us so far. Parlor tricks. Well, they don't seem like parlor tricks to me, Colonel. That new approach to nitrate use they demonstrated in Argentina this morning. That soil had more vitamins in it six hours later than a drugstore chain. I know that country. That's as barren and fruitless as any place on Earth. Well, we might lick this, we might not. But I got a strange feeling. What? We're looking at a gift horse in the mouth. I got another funny feeling, too. And that is? 
But if these canamits are as helpful as I think they are, you boys are going to be out of a job. And probably so will I. Am I to assume this is a scientific analysis, Mr. Chambers, or just some Kentucky windage? Well, I don't know what it is, Colonel. Beyond an instinctive feeling. It tells me that when this earth gets enough to eat, when there are no more wars or diseases or famines, this is going to be a Garden of Eden. Your optimism is most refreshing, Mr. Chambers, but I suggest that for the time being, you continue your process of deciphering until you can tell us precisely, and I mean precisely, what that book says. We've licked the title anyway. What does it say? How much does it tell us? Here it is. Well, that makes the cheese a little more binding, wouldn't you say, Colonel? Mm. I'd call that a reasonably altruistic phrase. Do you agree, Patty? Well, I, uh... Well, I want to believe it, but... I don't know what to think. To serve man. I hope so. I fervently hope so. Uh, they picked six good ones. Oh, they really did. I was, uh, I was, I found a, a quote from Rod Serling about how he viewed his work because he was very, very intense about radio, television, and film, and how it really hadn't achieved what he thought it should. And he was quoted as saying the following: "I was not permitted to have my." Senators discuss any current or pressing problems, he said in the 1957 Studio One production, The Arena, intended to be a, an involving look into contemporary politics. To talk about tariffs was to align himself, oneself, with the Republicans. To talk about labor issues was to suggest uh, control by the Democrats. To say a single thing germane to the current political scene was was absolutely prohibited and so he would do because he was very politically active after world war ii because uh, he had a an experience in that he almost died well and he saw his friend mm. die right in front of him yeah um, half of his squad half his squad was killed he marched with uh, martin luther king and yes. was very involved in that movement and yep. uh he says that writing was a release it was his salvation um, and i think that you know i think he was he must have been dealing with a lot of post-traumatic stress and this writing he just threw himself into it but what i really loved about learning more about him was that his kids and his friends said that he was a really good dad he was very hopeful very kind he wasn't a cynic so even though he's presenting all these sort of cynical scenarios. He, he himself wasn't a cynic and, and saw that there was hope for the future. Well, you mentioned it earlier. He, he's quoted as saying he really worked through all that by his writing, and that probably helped him keep his uh, kind of more normal approach to life outside of his writing. Something that was really sad, though, he, um, his father died while he was away at war, and he didn't get to say goodbye to his uh, dad. And I think that shows up sort of that that feeling of missing that and longing to be able to go back in time shows up in a, in a lot of his episodes. Oh, I, I agree. And, and going back to a place before he was in World War II, because he was in so many battles in the Philippines, and then he was 
a part of the occupation of Japan, had a lot of medals, including a Purple Heart. Uh, the thing I noticed, he died at an early age. He was 50. Um, well, one thing I noticed that there was a lot of smoking in the in the episodes, yeah. and he and he smoked, and I wonder if he didn't maybe have something, some health issues related to that. It said he smoked three to four packages of cigarettes a day. That's a that's unbelievable. I mean, that would be one after the other. But you know, when you hear his voice, if 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 you heard a a voice, uh, it was his on the radio even today. I would immediately know it was him. It was so distinctive. They originally wanted Orson Welles to do the introductions to the shows, but he was too expensive, so they decided that um, Rod Serling could do it because he had a great voice, like you say, and he's also a handsome guy. And I, I think that having anybody uh, but Rod Serling do it would be a tragedy. He's so, he's so great as doing those introductions. I was going back in time with him. <laughs> he did a lot. He did a lot of radio drama writing. One that he did a lot of uh, writing for was called Doctor Christian, and I remember listening to that back when I was a kid. And then he wrote so many wonderful uh, television film and and turned into they turned into films later, like uh, Requiem for a Heavyweight. Oh yeah, and uh, one that. If you haven't seen, it's just really, really well done, called Patterns about corporate governance and the executive suite in a large company. It's really, really intense and well done. And one of my favorite Westerns, mainly because of the title, Inherit, uh, Inherit the Wind. Oh, no, no, yeah. no, I, I'm sorry, not Inherit the Wind. That's it. Saddle the Wind. Saddle uh, the Wind. Oh, Saddle okay. the Wind with Robert Terry. Inherit the Wind. That's the <laughs> Scopes Monkey Trial. But it's 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 a good western, but the title alone is uh, is just amazing. Well, here's a couple other quotes that I that stood out to me in the in the um, documentary. Uh, Carry with you at all times your sense of caring. So he he says that you have as you're writing, you have to always keep that in mind that that sense of caring and that empathy for other people. Um, if you're going to be a writer, he says, quote, you must be the most self-disciplined beast that ever walked the earth. <laughs> be a beast. A, well, he had to be. Because, I mean, he wrote so much. Yeah, he wrote 92 episodes um, of the 156, I think, total episodes that there were. And Plus all of the other television and radio and film work that he did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah couple other quotes he says write with a sense of desperate urgency um, I, I always felt like when I well I felt like when I was watching him talk that he had so much to get out like he had so much to say that he just felt like maybe there wasn't enough time in his life to, to do it all so maybe that's where this quote comes from I'll bet it does because his father died at an early age he went through the battles that he went through saw his friend die uh, it had to it had to affect him and then the last one was sort of like, just classic. If it wasn't hard, everyone would be a writer. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Everybody, wa everybody wants to write a book, a story. Um, and he also did Night Gallery. That was uh, another anthology series on NBC. Yeah, I have, I've only seen a few episodes of Night Gallery, but I'd love to kind of binge watch those and see. I don't... I don't feel like those are as held in, in as high of regard as Twilight Zone, but I, I don't really know why or if that's even true, but that's kind of my impression. 
well, they're quite different. They're, uh, my, I'm going back on my memory now. I hope I'm correct. They were in uh, color, and they were on NBC, which had a whole different kind of a feel to it than CBS. And uh, I think all of his Twilight episode, Twilight Zone episodes were black and white. And so I think there was a whole different feel to them. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted to go back. It, it was 1958, Saddle the Wind. Saddle the Wind. Okay. Saddle the Wind. We'll and to, Patterns, we'll have to look that up. Patterns was from 1955. It was originally a craft television theater show. And then Requiem for Heavyweight was Playhouse 90. And they all be, uh, Saddle the Wind was a, was a movie from the beginning, but the other two were television made into film. Excellent films. We might even well, want to con- uh, do patterns. Yeah, I think that would be really cool to follow this up with the actual movie that he uh, wrote. Um, well, you're going to uh, well you 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 you'll enjoy the six episodes. I wish I were able to go there. I'm sure it's playing here. I just haven't haven't kept up with it. Um, but uh, well, I, I'm getting into going to seeing these old episodes or these old movies in the theater. So yesterday. Uh, Haley and Noah and I went to the theater, The Beacon. Where oh I, yes, where, where I saw the thing from another world. Yeah, and uh, and Battle of Algiers, and we went and saw this uh, anime from 1985 called Angel's Egg, and it's just an incredibly beautifully animated story allegory. Super weird movie. Like it, it's one of those movies where you walk out and you're going, "What did I just see? I have, I'm just so confused," but in a good way. And the theater was full. We almost didn't have a place to sit. So I'm happy oh to my. see that this little art house theater in Seattle is uh, apparently doing pretty well. That's it. What's, what's the name of the film again? It's called Angel's Egg. And it's an anime from 1985. And I'll put a link in the show notes. It's available to watch on YouTube for free. And it's an allegory. And I'm not sure that I could describe it to you in any coherent way. <laughs> I think I think a lot of his episodes on the Twilight Zone are hard to are hard to uh, describe. It's they're just so unique. I, I love them. Yeah, I think the ones that they chose, especially um, the you know, like Time Enough at Last with the. Uh, Burgess Meredith. I, oh, the ending of that's tragic. Oh, it's just that's just a, such a great encapsulation oh, of the geez. Twilight Zone to me. I mean, he's just such a engaging character, and yeah, the ending of that is so tragic. And it, what was kind of neat was I think there were some middle school kids in the theater audience that hadn't seen these episodes before, and so when that happened at the end of Time Enough at Last. They were they were surprised, and you could hear them go, "Oh no!" And you know they 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 kind of and there was a there were several people in the theater that I felt like maybe hadn't seen some of these episodes and were surprised. And I love that. I love that they were experiencing that that feeling that you get at the end of those episodes. Oh, totally. And that experience is is so so rare in films today. At least from the ones that you know, the current ones that I've been seeing. Everybody uh, was too busy to go with me, but I really, really wish the kids could have gone with me to see these because I think they would have really enjoyed them. Do you think there's a cable channel that would have these on it? I do not know if the Sci-Fi Channel carries them or not. Well, I know Hulu had them all for a while, but I don't know if they're still on Hulu. And uh, <clears throat> CBS has its CBS All Access uh, streaming service now, so maybe they're available maybe on that. They're there. 
I'll have to do a little bit of research and, and try to find out if we can watch these somewhere. I mean, one last thing I was looking at his uh, list of of his works, and, and one that I'd forgotten is from 1964, Seven Days in May, which was made into a film with Kurt Douglas and uh, Burt Lancaster and several others about a, a coup d'etat, a failed coup d'etat attempt in the U.S. in oh, 1964. Oh, we talked about that before. Oh, talked, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. And I had forgotten, I guess it was originally written for television, but I'm, this doesn't tell me that. So that's really a well-done film. Very intense. Um, Very intense. I think I think we should do a couple of Rod Serling movies uh, in the in the near in the near future. Like um, that one would be amazing, and then Patterns and To Saddle the Wind. Saddle maybe. the Wind, yeah, I gets my vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was uh, that was our little dive into uh, classic television, which I don't think we've done before, but definitely worth it for the Twilight Zone, and especially seeing it on the big screen and. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to our patrons. Uh, this is a patron-only episode at Tier 3, and uh, we really appreciate it. We really do, and, and um, we hope that we uh, are able to do more of his, his work because he, he was successful in every medium. He, he was just brilliant. He was a brilliant, brilliant writer, absolutely. So coming to you from North Bend, it's Matt Johnson. And Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, uh, wishing you all happy movie watching. got back to the car after watching the Twilight Zone in the theaters and wow that was amazing uh, they definitely chose I think some of the best stories for sure and then kind of the order that they put them in was really good um, I can talk some more about that but mainly I just wanted to get out this idea that yeah, he was an amazing person I mean his story about his own life the documentary at the end was probably worth the price of admission just by itself and i'm going to try to find some clips of his lectures that he gave at ithaca college uh, because yeah he said some profound things there um, i not i mean yeah he said some profound things and i i was getting teary-eyed at the end because he died so young he was basically my age and uh, yeah, he had so much more to give, so that's too bad. But uh, yeah, wow, amazing, amazing event. Wish, I really wish that my kids could have come. Um, I think they would have really appreciated it. Where do they come from, do I think? Ideas come from the earth. They come from every human experience that you either witness or have heard about, translated into your brain in your own sense of dialogue, in your own language form. Uh, ideas are born 
uh, from what is smelled, heard, seen, experienced, felt, emotionalized. Ideas are probably uh, in the air, like, like little tiny items of ozone. That's the easiest thing on earth, is to come up with an idea. And the second thing is, the hardest thing on earth, is to put it down. Who was it uh, that said, writing is the easiest thing on earth? He said, I simply walk into my study, I sit down, I put the paper in the typewriter, and I fix the margins, and then I turn the paper up, and I bleed. What are you dealing with now in terms of plot points, themes, concerns now? The world and everything in it. Hunger, poverty, the anguish of the human race, the desperate sense of self-destruction that we entertain all the time, the deep, pervading gloom that comes with our inability to cope. Of course you're going to over-concern yourself with issues. It's right that you should do so, and it's expected this year, next year, but not three years from now. Leave that soapbox behind. Carry with you at all times your sense of caring and your concern, but put it into the mouths of flesh and blood people.